if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Mm. <laughs> um, probably that you are enough. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. Let's kick things off. So welcome podcast listeners. It's a super special event today. We're celebrating 100 episodes of the Modern Musician Podcast. So this is officially episode number 101. Can I get a yeah, Cam? Yeah! <sighs> Woo! <laughs> I think that that was legit, probably the the longest yak ham I've ever done, and um, and I want to take a, a real quick moment to just uh, shout out and acknowledge um, you, Jared and, and Ari, for um, absolutely crushing it with pulling together the podcast and music mentor. I distinctly remember when you guys started uh, bringing up this idea of creating a podcast. And um, at the time, this was right when I was kind of transitioning from building Modern Musician and doing almost like kind of wearing all these different hats and doing everything on my own. And we started to build this amazing team. And you and Ari are like two of the greatest human beings that I know. And uh, started talking about this idea of like you know, a podcast. And it was one of the first times that I sort of like let go of my baby with like Modern Musician and um, let like the ball in your guys' court. And the two of you turned around, did an amazing launch for the podcast, hit number two on Apple Podcasts right out of the gate. And I was like, wow, I need to, you know, let you guys, you know, do more stuff more often. Like I need to let go of Modern Musician because uh, clearly um, our our team is incredible. And, and you guys in particular have really stepped up and done such an incredible job with the podcast. So I hugely appreciate you, Jared and, and Ari um, and shout out. Um, so the two of you specifically and in our team in general, and, and I want to share, I'm sorry, I'm like totally rambling here, but, um, this is important. Um, I, at the songwriting retreat, it's great time. I mean, that this happened actually, there was probably like six or seven people that recognized me and recognized modern musician. And one of them in particular, when I introduced myself, she, uh, she like freaked out a little bit. She's like, Oh my gosh. Like Michael Walker from the Modern Musician podcast, and she uh, had never seen my face except for the sideways photo of the the piano notes, and she um, has been listening to the podcast for for a long time now, and so she recognized my voice, and um, that's just a really cool moment. Or like, man, like the podcast has has really touched a lot of people, and I think helped a lot of people, and really you're you're responsible for that. So thank you, Jared, and, and thank you, Ari. Dude, thank you, man. Um, that makes me so happy that like you're having like real life interactions because I know we have an audience, you know, I know we have like people are listening every week and we've not missed a week of the podcast since we started. So we've released a new episode every single Monday since we started this thing. So yeah, and uh, you're a great host. I think you do a killer job at like 
teasing out the valuable things that all of our guests have. And so today is super exciting for me or fun because I get to play uh, podcast host and you get to play podcast guest. And um, yeah, it's super awesome. So um, let me uh, let me do a formal introduction uh, of you here. So I'm super excited because today I'm here with one of the most awesome human beings I know. He's a dedicated father of three, a truly gifted entrepreneur, an insanely talented musician, and my personal mentor over the last five years. He's on a mission to help music artists on a mass scale, the Neo in the music industry matrix, bringing artists the tools, community, and coaching to transform how they can make an impact on their fans and make a living doing what they love most. So Michael Walker, welcome to the Modern Musician Podcast. <laughs> yeah! Woo! That's, that's so awesome. It's great too, because I feel like, honestly, I, the role could be totally reversed right now. I could be interviewing you and it would be an incredible podcast, but it'll be it'll be fun to kind of take a step back and just uh, be, a, be a guest on the podcast today. Yeah, man, it's super fun. So for folks who are watching or listening right now and might not know like your whole story, um, can you just give us a brief history on your background and how you got to where you are today with Modern Musician? Yeah. So I um, started touring full-time out of high school and uh, realized really quickly that it wasn't enough to just you know book the shows on tour, but you actually had to get people out to come out to the shows. And I remember that first tour playing a lot of shows for just the, you know, the bartender in the back of the room and empty shows. And at the time we were you know, living in our van, sleeping in Walmart parking lots and uh, we would go into Walmart and get a big stack of flour tortillas, a big jar of peanut butter, and you know, breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was peanut butter tortillas each day. My, my, my parents would call me like, "So how are things going at the band?" Like, "It's awesome, it's great," but you know, we were like basically the definition of starving artists at, at that time. And um, what changed everything around and took us from that point to selling twenty four thousand CDs in about six months, and really it was probably like the number one thing that. When I look at my life personally, and I and I think you know, out of everything that I've done in my entire life, and yeah, I'm relatively young, I'm like 30 years old, but out of everything that I've done in my life, there's probably this is like one of the number one most transformative experiences was an idea that our lead singer had that we've come to call tour hacking, and tour hacking, in a nutshell. We noticed that our favorite bands, um, like All Time Low, Mayday Parade, Blink 182. They had you know, millions of fans, and we grew up listening to their music and idolizing them. And before their shows, they would go on tour. And well, before their shows, they would go to tour. When they were on tour, they would have thousands of fans waiting in line, sometimes for the entire day, to, to go see them. And so we thought, what if we walk up to these people and introduce ourselves and share some of our music? And you know, I was a super shy, awkward kid, so that didn't come naturally to me at all. I remember shaking and stuttering as I walked up to people. But what we found was that the people that we were connecting with were really receptive to it because they're the fans who actually go out to shows and get up off their butts to support music and they actually care. And so we sold 24,000 CDs in about six months doing that. And because of that, one of the bands that we were tour hacking on, All Time Low, uh, which is like our our idols you know i'm pretty sure the first song that we ever covered as a band was dear maria count me in by all time low um they heard about what we were doing and they gave us the opportunity to open for them on their next tour so um 
that was a dream come true. And, and that really kind of snowballed into a career where we got to tour and connect with a lot of our favorite bands. And eventually we released an album that hit number two on iTunes. We had about 24 million streams and we toured worldwide. And um, honestly, yeah, it, it was like my dream for my whole life was was to be able to do what, what we did. And it felt very validating because at the beginning, like I think most most of us as musicians have, have kind of had the same experience at the beginning where it's just your friends and family and it seems like no one like mm-hmm. no one really cares. Um, and, you know, we got picked on. We got made fun of. We, uh, they called us paradise queers. <laughs> uh, at least some people did in high school because that was a super original insult back then. So, you know, it felt, yeah, a lot of my ego or a lot of my identity, I think, was wrapped up in um, touring full time. And we did that for about 10 years. And... About five years ago, when um, I started thinking about starting a family and becoming a dad, you know, I was gone most of the year on tour and not really living a lifestyle that was um, conducive to me being the kind of father and, and husband that, that I wanted to be. And so that was sort of like a rock bottom moment in my life. And I should be, I'm really grateful that this was one of my rock bottom moments. Cause I know there's people have you know had to go through a lot, a lot harder than this. But for me, you know, I was at the end of touring full time where my, my identity and everything I was proud of was sort of lost. And I was like, who am I anymore? And what am I going to do now? If I want to support my family, like in, without traveling, you know, am I going to have to go back to college? Am I going to have to get a quote unquote real job? And you know, I felt like a, like a failure of a husband and a father because I, I couldn't provide for my kids at, at that time. And I didn't, I didn't know who I was anymore. And, uh, luckily stumbled upon a few mentors in the online education and entrepreneurship space. Uh, one of them was uh, named Jeff Walker and we have the same last name, but, uh, we're not related, but, but anyways, he, you know, he has a program where he teaches entrepreneurs how to coach and, and help people by creating courses and, and programs and teach experience, teach from knowledge. And so he helped me to create Modern Musician and a business where I was coaching and helping other artists um, do what we had done with Paradise Fears. And honestly, like a lot of the stuff that we teach now didn't even really exist when we were touring full-time with Paradise Fears. Things like look like audiences and Facebook and Instagram ads and funnels and digital marketing was like a lot of things that we've discovered in the last five years um, growing together as modern musician and, and growing with our artists and our community and kind of keeping on the cutting edge of what's new. Um, but, you know, modern musician has grown um, more quickly than, than I could have imagined. And now we have uh, a team of over 35 um, music- musicians who are some of the greatest human beings that I know, um, super intelligent, just like caring, empathetic people, and also super talented musicians themselves, which is awesome. Jared, you know, you just got off of a very successful tour and your band's killing it. And it's the same thing with, you know, our, our entire team is, is, uh, made up of, of incredible musicians. So it's been really, really humbling. And, you know, in the, um, I guess it was probably about two years ago that we won the two comic club award from ClickFunnels. Um, for hitting seven figures in a single year with Bonnie Musician, and it's continued to grow um, really, really quickly. And there's now there's over a hundred thousand musicians in our in our community that that we're serving, and 
and we're able to create, um, you know, software and education that kind of goes along with it and a lot of really cool stuff that, that I can go down in an even deeper rabbit hole that I've already kind of taken things. So I'm going to pull myself off here before we go. We'll get there. Any deeper, but yeah. <laughs> Some of the stuff I want to talk about for sure. Yeah, man. Uh, I love that Modern Musician is made up of all musicians. I don't think there's a company out there that's like really 100% all active musicians. And I think that really like makes it different because you know we're we're coaching we're providing tools and training for musicians but it's coming from not a place of like a manager or a music industry expert you know it's coming from people who are actually doing it and implementing these same kind of methodologies and so it, it really helps it like grow and evolve like like nothing else mm. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's one of our you know core values at Modern Musician is to lead by example and sort of walk, walk the walk. And it definitely helps that everyone's a musician and we learned so much. We learned so much through trying things out ourselves and failing and, and learning from our mistakes and seeing what were our frustrations. And so it's definitely been a um, really cool process to be able to create things that we're both excited to share with other people, but also we're using ourselves and we're able to iterate on. So to kind of dig into more of what we can talk about today, I, th I felt like we could start with kind of the state of the music industry and some general like open-ended um, questions. One of the questions that you ask a lot on the podcast is, um, oh, what are you seeing as some of the most common challenges or mistakes that artists are making today in, in the music industry landscape? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So. I think one of the biggest challenges is that nowadays there's so many talented musicians where really like the biggest problem now isn't that their music's not good enough or that they're not talented enough. It's just that um, it's easier than ever to make music in home studio and high quality music easier than ever to distribute it without a record label, you know, put it on Spotify, DistroKid, Apple Music, you know, th through any of the distributors, and it only takes a couple of button clicks. Therefore, there's so much music and so much information online just in general. It's like exponential. It's something like it's doubling every year. And so I, I think the uh, biggest challenge that I see now is just that um, it feels more difficult to kind of cut through the noise and get your music heard. And also like kind of connected to that, I think that when it comes to releasing music for a lot of artists that, that we've worked with, especially if you're earlier on and you haven't really built an established audience yet, um, it's really easy to kind of drag our feet or, or keep waiting for the right moment, the right time. We spent a ton of time and energy trying to plan out our releases when the bottom line is that um, before you build an audience, there's like no one really cares that much yet about, about the music until you put in the legwork to actually build an audience, build a community. And so it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation, but you know, for most artists, what I would recommend is rather than waiting um, to release an album or waiting to like release all their music in a big public way, you know, take one of their songs, one of their demos, or one of their recordings and start running traffic to it. Start, you know, actually doing digital marketing to grow your audience, get a thousand, five thousand, you know, fans on your email list, on your text message list before, um, you actually release the song publicly. Cause then when you have that week, you know, that week long window of opportunity, when you first release the songs, you actually have people who are excited to hear it and listen rather than 
you know, kind of putting it out. And if you don't have an audience, then you're practically guaranteed that nothing's really going to happen when you first put it, put it out. It's like if your songs are logs to start a fire, right. And the fire represents your fan base, then, you know, no matter how good your music is, no matter how big the logs are, if all you do is drop them in a fire pit and there's not a fire going, then, you know, it's not, nothing's going to happen, right. You need to generate the flames, you need to generate the audience. And, if you already have a fire going, you already have an audience, then great. You know, you can drop logs into the, the existing audience. And that's why you'll see some peop sometimes people that have a huge audience already who are famous from TV or film or they just have an audience for some reason. They already have a bit of a fire going. So, you know, it's easier for them to drop logs in the fire pit. But um, there are ways that you can, you know, even if you're starting with a twig or a branch, there's ways that you can start that fire before – you know, you'd spend a ton of time and a ton of energy and tens of thousands of dollars, you know, working on a release strategy and PR and publicity. Um, you know, it's really kind of build that initial, that initial connection. Yeah. hundred. I totally agree. What would you say is like the, the quickest, easiest, and most affordable kind of way to, to get started getting that, that initial flame or to spark that fire. If you've got really good songs, you've got the logs in place. What would you say is like the number one best way to sort of go about doing that? Yeah, that's such a good question. So there's three different types of um, strategies that we'd recommend. And you know, these are things that um, are certainly true for you as a musician, but it's really true for like any business because really what we're talking about is driving traffic and we're talking about lead generation. And there's three different types of traffic, um, organic, paid traffic and affiliate traffic are kind of three of the main, the main ones. So for, for you as a musician, I think that probably the fastest, most affordable way to quickly grow and, you know, kind of get the fire started, like gasoline on the fire is going tour hacking. You know, I think that if you have the guts and the willingness mm -hmm. to like walk up to fans who are going out to shows and just do it from a place of looking to connect with them and build relationships and an audience and get some clips of your songs, like, those people that go watch shows, they are the people that actually care enough to get up off their butts and go attend a show and spend money to be there. And they're the people who are most likely to be supportive of your music too. It's like, you know, Newton's laws of motion, right? Like a, an object in motion tends to remain in motion. And so if your goal is to build an engaged audience, people who actually care and go out to shows, then you want to connect with people who are already doing that. Right, that you don't have to convince to you know to support you, but the people who already you know get that kind of value. So I think that's probably the fastest and the cheapest way to do that. And we've had artists that went from scratch to making eleven thousand dollars in a single month with like two guys in the band by going out and going tour hacking. So that's probably like one of the the fastest ways to do it. It certainly isn't easy, mostly because it's absolutely terrifying to walk up to strangers like that. And there's something biologically that happens when you're getting ready to do it, that there's like a ton of fear and everything inside of you is telling you, like, do not walk up to this person. If you do this, you will die. <laughs> like if, if you walk up to this person, you are going to die. This is a terrible idea. And it doesn't logically make sense, but I, I've heard that this is sort of carried over from when we used to live in tribes. And if we got rejected, then we actually might get ostracized and we actually could die. And so this is just sort of like an outdated fear because clearly like you're not going to die if someone rejects you like in line for a show, but it, but it feels like it. So take it with a grain of salt. I think that that's probably the best, fastest way to truly connect with people who, who care and to 
spark the fire. The second strategy is what we call paid paid traffic. And if you have a budget, then that's probably like the fastest, easiest, most accessible way to do it. As long as you're you know, setting it up in the right way. It's really easy to, you know, I think sometimes paid traffic, it's a bad rap um, for good for good reason at the same time, because a lot of times when people hear paid traffic, they hear, oh, you're going to you know buy fake followers or fake likes or, and, and that certainly is the case for a lot of different, you know, paid traffic campaigns. If you're paying to artificially boost your Spotify stream count or to artificially get, you know, buy a hundred thousand Instagram followers, then you know, most of those people aren't real people who are actually going to come out to shows and you know, purchase things from you and engage with you. And, and ultimately with paid traffic, the only two numbers that matter are what's your cost per acquisition? So how much are you paying to acquire um, a fan? So if you brought in 10,000 fans for you know, $20,000, that would mean that you paid $2 per fan. It was essentially a $2 cost per acquisition. Right. And so if you want to reach a hundred thousand fans, you're like, okay, cool. Like I just need to pay $200,000 at hundred at $2 per fan. But that's just one number in the equation, right? Like the other number is your value per acquisition. So if it costs you a dollar to reach a new fan, how much are you earning per fan that you bring in? Which is another big mistake that I see a lot of times is like, mm-hmm. is that as artists, we might not necessarily think about what are we actually offering and providing value. And, and we might just have like a you know $10 merch bundle but you know if that's all you have then your value per acquisition is going to be really really low because only a certain percentage of people that join your community are actually going to buy something from you so you might be paying a dollar per fan but making like 10 cents per fan so it just isn't a like the math the math doesn't work right so that, all that being said i think that paid traffic is one of the best um, things to learn how to do because it really is a system and it's just, it's math. And you know, I was a weird kid in high school that liked math. So I really like you know, this, this type of process because it also gives you the freedom to uh, essentially free up your time, right? With tour hacking, you have to walk up to every single person individually where with um, these paid traffic campaigns and you know, what we call virtual tour hacking. And Jared, you know this more, more than almost, almost anyone. Jared is like our, our head, I'm at my position when it comes to running paid traffic and running these virtual tour hacking campaigns. But basically, you can create an automatic flow. Um, and we used to do this through ManyChat, and now you know, we've basically built it into our own street team software. But you can create an automated messenger flow that basically makes it so that if you imagine, <laughs> we used to joke about this with Paradise Fears that, like, you know, what if we hired um, people just off the street to like approach fans waiting in lines for shows? So, because like we, there's only six of us, but you know, what if we had a hundred people that were like approaching every, all the lines at, uh, at the shows? And we had like, you know, a homeless person on the side of the street that we like requested to like come, come do this. And, you know, but obviously, like when there's only six of you doing this in line, you have a, a ceiling. Like you can't reach more than that amount of people. And, you know, with the, the pay traffic campaigns with messenger flows and automation, you can reach thousands of people simultaneously, you know, and we have artists who are in their seventies and eighties and are getting thousands of messages per day for new fans. And they couldn't do that if they were relying on tour hacking or posting organically on social media, right? Like they have this system that every single day they don't have to do anything. They just wake up and boom, like they're getting, you know, hundreds or thousands of messages, which is 
amazing. So I'm a, a big fan of paid traffic, but the clear downside is is that you know you have to pay money to reach those people. So if you do it, then you want to make sure you have a good system set up so that you know you can you put in a dollar and you know, and make it profitable, so you get more than a dollar out. So that's paid traffic, and you know, we have our our one fan challenge, and um, we walk through basically start to start to finish how you can um, launch one of those campaigns for yourself. Um, the third strategy that we that we recommend is what we call hyper networking and hyper networking is i mean it's huge like it's if you if you already have a pre-existing relationship or contact with an artist that already has a major fan base the analogy is that it's kind of like putting your logs next to another fire that's already going it's one of the fastest ways to light your own fire as well and you hear it all the time from artists who went from obscurity to all of a sudden like blowing up because they got the right feature, the right collaboration. And it is possible to, you know, to get those types of opportunities, but generally in terms of getting the best ROI for your time and, and for your investment, usually what we recommend is, you know, using either tour hacking or virtual tour hacking to build up an audience of your own first, you know, maybe 5,000, 10,000 fans in your community. Because once you have the fire going, then usually when you're hyper networking and you're you know, collaborating with other artists. So doing things like going on tour with a bigger artist or doing a co-write together or doing a video together. These are things where generally there's like a win-win, right? And if if you're looking to tour with a bigger artist, the number one thing that is going to help you do that is can you sell tickets to the show? Can you bring people out to the show? And so if you don't have a fire going on your own, then it's going to be really difficult to get responses from artists that are much, much, much bigger than you, because usually there's going to be a win-win. You know, it needs to be like a, it's kind of like bees cross-pollinating, right? It's, like, it's great when, when it's a win-win for both parties, but if you don't have anything to contribute or, or offer in the form of putting your fires together, then usually what I would recommend is focusing on one of the other strategies first, build an audience, and then you're going to have much more leverage so that you can actually connect um, and partner with, with other artists. Yeah, totally. I love it. The, 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 tour hacking the in-person tour hacking um that's how my band got started was was we didn't call it tour hacking but we were doing essentially the same thing a lot of the times we were selling tickets for our next show um mm -hmm. in line at the show with all the you know premium fans like all the people that already spend money and already go to shows and buy merch we were talking to them and that that was literally how we started our fire to begin with so if you have <laughs> that's, that's so cool yeah if you have the the guts or just being in a scene and and making connections yeah. it's huge 100 mm. percent. yeah i think that's that's another piece to it as well is like is what you just mentioned about just being in the scene or just showing up and connecting with people like if you if you make a point to attend shows for similar artists to you that are either bigger than you or around your same size and support them and go out to their shows and connect with, you know, everyone there, then you're actually, you are building those relationships. You can kind of do it naturally. And, and, um, there is something about being in person and just like seeing someone's face as you connect with them. I feel like you learn more through a single interaction with someone face to face for like 20 minutes than you might learn from 500, you know, email messages that, that you hear from someone because you have this like back and forth real, um, real experience connecting with them. And so it, it is a, a really great way to get things started. Yeah. And then we, we just got through a pandemic and we're on 
pretty much the other side. So we, we see shows happening all the time. So, you know, the last two years, we only had virtual tour hacking. And I would say the same thing is that I tell people it's kind of like a smart billboard. Like you're, you're basically putting your music on a billboard and it's, and you can target the exact kind of fans who already like, you know, that kind of music and that ad runs all the time while you sleep. So it's like an organic post that just like lives forever and breathes until you turn it off. But it, it's basically just getting smarter and, and getting in front of people all the time without you having to keep posting. So mm-hmm. digital marketing, you know, learning how to run these campaigns, I would say is like one of the number one tools that artists have that they didn't have before, like in the MySpace days. And just a few years ago, we have that now. So hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah, and one thing that's, that's really nice about that specific kind of campaign that we're talking about too, with virtual tour hacking is that it really applies a lot of the same fundamentals from tour hacking when it comes to connecting with people and having a conversation, you know, back and forth where you know, I think that the reason that tour hacking, or at least one of the reasons it works so well was because, you know, you are having a, a back and forth conversation. It's not necessarily just a one way, you know, thing where you're shouting a megaphone. You say, "Hey, like, here's listen to my music," but you're actually connecting with them. And you're asking them questions to get to know them, which really, you know, opens people up. And it's how, as humans, we've learned to connect with with other people. So I think that that's super powerful. And I love the way you just put it with like the billboard. Um, but it's like a a smart AI billboard that literally <laughs> like shows up and just pops up like exactly where your, your fans are likely to go hang out. Uh, it is, it is pretty, pretty amazing how, how those, um, how those systems work and how the more data that comes in, the smarter that the machine gets. Yeah. So when you're driving traffic and, and you're having these conversations, like you said, the ultimate goal is to put in a dollar and make $2 back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have offers and something that you introduced me to, uh, a long time ago is the concept of the value ladder. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the value ladder and what it is and why it's important that artists have one. Mm, 100%. Yeah. So uh, I'll see if I can uh, talk about it and demonstrate this without like geeking out and showing a spreadsheet on it. But basically what we talked about when it comes to paid traffic, especially, but I mean, really this kind of the same thing operates no matter what, um, what type of traffic you're running is like, how much does it cost you overall to bring in a new fan? How much are you earning overall per fan you bring in? Like those are like the two part beats of your business, of you as a musician is is those, and, and really any business, like how much does it cost you to acquire a new customer and how much um, are you earning per, per customer? And that's how you can serve. It's like, it's like breathing in and breathing out. If you don't have a way to generate revenue and sales with your music you don't have a way to breathe in <laughs> like you can you can only breathe out for so long until like you you need oxygen <laughs> like you need to be able to breathe and if you don't then you're going to suffocate and you will not be able to continue making music right and so this is one thing i see sometimes is like people feel i don't know guilty about that process of breathing in <laughs> and it, a lot of times it comes from not fully um appreciating that that's just a part of the the process and that's actually how you can serve greater is is through both um so to talk through the value ladder idea um when we're talking about those two numbers right cost per acquisition and value per acquisition so in this example let's say that costs you a dollar 
um, per fan to, to bring in a new fan to your community. So you spent $10,000 and you brought in exactly 10,000 fans onto your email list. Awesome. Okay, it cost you a dollar per fan. So let's first imagine that you didn't have anything to offer. Or even better, let's say that you have just your streams, right? So you have um, 10,000 fans that have joined your email list. And let's say that those people are streaming, like on average, like all those 10,000 people, you're getting 10,000 streams per month. So gosh, let me do the math real quick. So 10,000 streams per month times, I know it's roughly like four, three to $5,000 for a million streams. So if you divide that by what, 100, is that right? You're the math guy here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pulling up my computer. And the computers are the math, <laughs> the math wizards for sure. Someday we'll have the brain nerd faces. I'll just just like, you know, just pull this up immediately. But so let's see. So if we wanted 10,000, then that would mean that if you get about, let's say that you're you're saying you're actually making $5,000 per million streams, which is probably actually going to be a bit less than that. That would mean for 10,000 people, you're eating like $50 from streams. <laughs> So you spent $10,000 to reach this 10,000 people. So your cost per acquisition is like a dollar per fan. Your value per acquisition is like a few pennies per fan, right? So if that's all you have, then it's no wonder that you don't have a sustainable career because you have, you have nothing really to offer your fans aside from the streams, which is a very, very low you know, economic um, value to, to your business. And so... The value ladder is basically this idea of having a few different price points of different things that you can offer to your fan at different levels. Because out of 10,000 fans, it's, it's very, very likely that you have quite a few people. It's usually about one in 500 is the, the target that we recommend aiming for, which would mean about like, let's say between 10 to 20 fans out of those 10,000 that would actually purchase a high ticket offer from you. So something that's either like a thousand dollars, three thousand, even five thousand dollars for a single, um, a single offer at the high end of your value ladder, and we're only talking about you know ten to twenty people, but you know having that in your value ladder means that you're generating some serious revenue from those ten to twenty people, and that can help to support and kind of fuel. It's that that oxygen in breath for the rest of your music, and allows you to continue to create music and you have know, kind of fund everyone else who is just listening to the music and streaming it. So I kind of skipped, I skipped the gun there, just went directly to that, to the high ticket offer. But um, ultimately what we found is that usually the high end of the market is actually where the, the greatest price margins are. And that's where people tend to generate the most revenue. Um, especially if you're kind of starting out and you don't have millions of fans yet, then you're not going to make a lot of revenue from streams, right? But it's a lot easier to bring in one $5,000 sale than it is to bring in a million streams. And if you spend you know, $5,000 and you bring in one $5,000 sale, then that's paid for your entire $5,000 in ad spend. And you know, then you also have the benefit of having spent $5,000 and bringing you know, 5,000 people into your street team, for example. So let me kind of zoom, zoom back a little bit and, and go through the value ladder a little bit, a little bit more. And, and hopefully this will kind of, kind of click, even without like the spreadsheet to, to look at the, the numbers as we're breaking it down. 
so let's use like round round numbers. So we started out, you know, 10,000 fans, you spent $10,000. That means that it's about a dollar cost per acquisition. And just with streams, then you're making a few pennies, right? So in terms of like, imagine a teeter-totter scale and your cost per acquisition is all the way down and the value per acquisition is all the way up because there's not enough weight on the value per acquisition to scale it out, right? Ideally, you want the value per acquisition to be at the bottom and cost per acquisition to be up. So now let's imagine that on the right side of the teeter-totter, the side that you know is the value per fan, you add in a $10 low-ticket um, merch item. And we might call this your starter pack. So it might be a CD and a few you know, deliverables um, for your fans, or maybe it's an NFT, you know, whatever it is, just imagine it's $10, right? So when you add that offer onto the equation, a certain percentage of people are going to take you up on that offer. So just for this example, just to keep the numbers nice and clean, let's say that it's 10% of people that join your street team or that join your email list that get the, the $10 starter pack. So that'd mean that out of those 10,000 people, a thousand people would have gotten the starter pack. And if you multiply 1,000 times 10, that means that you made $10,000 from that initial starter pack. And so in that equation, now just from adding that one additional offer, right, without, the, without anything to offer, there's, you know, you're wasting, you're spending a lot of money. You spent $10,000 and you only made $50 back. But you, know, you add in another offer, and now for the exact same investment, now the, the balance is, is even. Right, it's ten thousand dollars that you spent. It's about ten thousand dollars, and so now it's balanced. And now anything else that you add on to the scale, it's going to tip it towards um, being profitable. So now let's imagine, again, just using round numbers to, to make this easy. But let's imagine that you had you know a hundred dollar offer for a VIP bundle, and it included a VIP pass to you know three of your next live shows. And yeah, I've seen some of these VIP passes go for like four or $500 for, for a single ticket, right? So a lot of times I'll see like artists undervalue themselves because they feel like they need to be famous before they offer a VIP ticket, for example, or they feel like, I don't know, weird. They feel like it's somehow like egotistical to have a VIP ticket when it's almost the exact opposite. It's like you, by offering these, you can actually provide a ton of extra value. And there are people who, even if you only have... 50 or 100 people that come out to a show, I guarantee you that you're going to have a good chunk of those people who want the VIP experience. And even if they got to meet you after the show, regardless, for free, you know, there's sort of an element of, you know, they may or may not get to meet you and they have to wait in line for everyone else. And a lot of people are actually going to upgrade and get the VIP pass just for a guaranteed, you know, ability to connect with you and have a meet and greet and take a picture with you and get, you know, maybe early access to the show or things like that. So in this example, let's say it's $100. And, you know, it's one in a hundred people who join your email list get this. So that would mean that for those 10,000 people that joined your email list, that you made another $10,000 just from offering that additional VIP bundle. And so now, you know, the teeter-totter has flipped considerably. And now you're earning about $2 per fan that joins your, your community. So there's, you know, there's a couple of different um, price points in the value ladder that we, could, you know, that we could talk about, but I think hopefully that kind of demonstrates what I'm talking about in terms of the teeter-totter. And here's the last, the last thing to note is that um, generally what's going to happen, and this is just part of the, the game with paid traffic, is that once you have a profitable campaign, so let's say that you did, you uh, brought in 10,000 fans 
into your street team and you paid $10,000 to reach those people. So it was a dollar cost per acquisition per fan. And now you're like, man, this is so cool. Um, I spent you know $10,000 and I made $45,000 back. Um, you know, I'm just going to spend $10 million and I'll make $45 million back. Cool. <laughs> you know, and that would be pretty, that'd be pretty awesome if that's exactly how it worked. But you know, that's, um, that, that's not, that's not how it works. What, what's going to happen is as you scale your campaigns, what's going to happen is naturally your cost per acquisition is going to start to increase. So that left side of the teeter totter is going to start to go up because now the, the algorithms have basically figured out who are those fans who are most likely to resonate with your music. So either you're going to need to get smarter about decreasing your cost per acquisition and basically doing things like, you know, we could we could geek out here and go down too much of a rabbit hole. I want to probably keep things a little, a little bit more, avoid avoid the geek zone a little bit too much if it's just since we're uh, just talking here and we can't visually like show some of this stuff. But one thing that's so, so important with paid traffic especially is split testing and you know, this is one of the best ways to decrease your cost per acquisition is to, let's say for example, that you have one of, you have three different songs and, you know, 75% of people that listen to song A, they say, oh, this is amazing. And they end up joining your email list. And let's say that 35% of people that listen to song B say, oh, this is great. I love it. And they join your email list. That means that song A outperforms song B by two times. And so that would mean that your cost per acquisition, the left side of the teeter-totter, is literally twice as heavy just from that one, that one test. So you know, if you're testing those two different things, you say, wow, song A works a lot better um, to start with. Then now you're going to start running more traffic to there, and it's going to significantly decrease your cost per acquisition. And it's going to balance things out. And so really that's just the whole the whole game of paid traffic is the teeter-totter and decreasing your cost per acquisition, increasing your value per acquisition, and doing that by you know connecting with your fans and figuring out what do they want, what do they actually find valuable, and creating a value ladder of different price points for, for different people based on um, their level of connection with the songs. What's up, podcast listeners? You're listening to my episode with Michael Walker. My name's Jared Christensen. I co-produce this podcast with my partner, Ari Welcome. And we just wanted to take a second to, one, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and being part of this community. I really hope that you get a ton of value out of these interviews. And I can't believe that we're already at 100 episodes. So big thank you from our podcast team here at Modern Musician and Michael. During this episode, Michael talks a lot about what we implement in our Gold Artist Academy program. Everything from the street team software, the value ladder, setting up these scalable campaigns, generating hundreds, even thousands of messages every week with new fans. Everything from the morning routine, the things we recommend for artists, your artist's identity, how to build a tribe around your music, how to build revenue systems and automation into your marketing. It's a three-month course and we walk you step-by-step every step of the way. You get private coaching with our team once a week, group coaching, and so much more. If you've been feeling on the fence, but you've been feeling an urge that you want to take the next step, and you just need some guidance and a system that's been proven over and over again, I want to encourage you to apply for Gold Artist Academy. The link is in the description. You can stop the episode now, go apply, and if we accept your application, we'll set you up with a free artist breakthrough session where we're going to look at where you're at in your music career career, and most importantly, if we can help you take it to the next level. So you got nothing to lose. Hit the link in the description, apply, and let's get back to the episode. 
Yeah, I know we, this is geeky for a lot of us, um, but I think it's important because I feel like what I see, especially outside of our of modern musician, the people who aren't learning this stuff in our programs, is that they aren't thinking about this, what we just talked about, cost per per acquisition value and having offers on the back end so that you're not just sending people to go stream, but you're also giving the opportunity to, you know, maybe get a small commitment, $10 merch bundle, and then upgrade to a, to a VIP or having these other offers is how you actually can grow your audience while, you know, potentially profiting quite a bit from it too. So I think it's an important to know and, um, and a really important thing that modern musician that you showed me and that we, you know, show everybody that we work with. So awesome stuff. So I've got a few more questions here. One of the things I wanted to talk about that I, that I know you're really excited about is the tools. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about street team, the software, why you developed it and why it's important for artists and why it can help? Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, the right question is asking me to, to, to geek out and go, go deep. So street team, the analogy that we use here is once you start driving traffic. And so whether you're tour hacking or virtual tour hacking or using hyper networking, when you start to, to have new fans who are discovering you every single day, it's kind of like, it starts to rain, right? It's kind of like there's a storm that, and each raindrop represents a fan and if all you're doing when the storm's happening is like holding out your hands, then most of the rain just goes into the ground and it's wasted. You're just kind of left holding what's in your hands. So that's why you hear so many stories about one hit wonders and people you are like, wow, like there was a new album. And you know, that probably they didn't have a rain catcher. They didn't have a way to basically capture the rain as it's falling down. So you can build a deeper relationship with, with your fans. And so really kind of at the core of you know, digital marketing um, in general and at the core of what we found was working both for modern musician and for our artists was this idea of building a rain catcher or building a funnel to really capture the rain as it's falling down so that you can build a deeper relationship with those people. And it's not just a one-time relationship. You know, if you're sending people to Spotify, not only are you getting paid like a fraction of a penny, but you're losing the ability like to actually connect deeper with those people and actually continue to send, you know, follow-up campaigns and to send them an email and you're listening to a song, right? Because you're probably never going to hear from them again if you just send them to a platform that you don't own. And so one of the, you know, one of the major tools that we that we focus on for the past 5 years has been about building a rain catcher and building a funnel. And in the past, you know, we found like seven or eight different software tools that we've been using to create these funnels, right? So the paid traffic is kind of like generating the, the rain. But then in terms of actually having an email list to send automated emails and text messages and, you know, to convert, you know, people from listening to actually joining your email list, we're using tools like ClickFunnels and ActiveCampaign and ManyChat and Janice AI and Dialogflow and you know, all these different tools that, you know, especially as you start to grow your audience and you have like 10,000 or 20,000 or more, these are tools that can cost between, you know, $300 a month to $1,000 per month. Or, you know, in our case, we were spending, you know, I think three or $4,000 per month um, because, you know, once you build an audience of like 100,000 people, the price goes up significantly. And, you know, these tools are amazing. I mean, the fact that you can build this funnel and this rain catcher, it's like one of the best investments that, that you can make. 
but um, it's still it was a really major a major investment and our program you know we spent so much time with our our coaches we spent we trained we have all this training to basically set up all these different tools that are you know that are different tools and teaching them how to talk to each other and this is something like something called an API language is like these tools talk to each other using code and developer language. And you know, I've learned how to write code in like the past year. And it was, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I've, I've actually really enjoyed learning, learning how to write code. Like I was, I'm a, I was a weird kid that's called like math and I, and I have le loved learning like this, this language, but it took a ton of time and a ton of energy. And for most, I would say like 99% of the artists we worked with, they didn't want to touch APIs and building developer languages and all these different tools and tech. That was one of their biggest challenges. Like it's just so overwhelming. There's so many different tools I need to, that I need to learn. And so our whole program is about, you know, building a team that is able to set up these tools and master them and kind of, and you know, link them together. But the bottom line is that um, even though like, yeah, we were able to build this amazing system, these amazing tools. It's still like seven or eight different tools talking to each other. And there's a lot of updates and then they have to keep talking to each other. And it's just sort of like a Frankenstein of these different, these different software tools. And it ends up being really expensive as you start to, as you start to grow too. Again, it's a good investment, but you know, it's just, um, there, there were, you know, challenges when we did that. It wasn't integrated. And so, um, really the purpose of the street team software that we built was that we wanted to create a platform that's specifically designed for musicians and that could integrate all those different tools that we had been using, you know, from ActiveCampaign and ClickFunnels and ManyChat and Janus AI, so that you could have a CRM, which stands for, you know, Customer Relationship Manager, that allows you to, you know, have two-way text message communication. Oh, that's another one too, um, community you know, that alone was like hundreds of dollars per month just to have a few thousand people, you know, in your text message community. And so we wanted to build this all into one platform. And now Street Team is, is it's so, it's so exciting. It's, it's basically a one-stop integrated tool that allows you to have two-way text communication, email communication, allows you to build websites and funnels. So if you're using Wix or Squarespace or, or Banzoogle or a website builder, then it basically does all of that, but it's plugged into your two-way communication. So you can send text messages like community and you can have automated email sequences, which is what we found has been one of the highest ROI uses of, of your time is building email automations and, and sequences. And that's all built into the same platform. And to plug it all into your systems so that when you have fans that join your street team, you are giving them points for doing things like, you know, subscribing to your email list and subscribing to your YouTube and your social media accounts and referring their friends and streaming your music. And they can get points for doing these things. And based on the number of points, we segment them into different groups. So gold or everywhere from bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and diamond. And what we found is that, you know, that diamond audience, so the top 5% of your fan base based on the people who are the most engaged, who really care the most, is one of the most powerful you know, audiences that you can use to create uh, something called a lookalike audience. And yeah, so I feel like we're, we're going there. We're going there with this, we're, we're getting geeky. But um, lookalike audiences 
basically, if you have a group of people and you have a list of emails and their phone numbers, then using Instagram, Facebook, um, Google, and YouTube have their own version of this as well. You can upload that list and you can you can create you know a similar audience, a lookalike audience, and it's going to look at that group you gave. And based on all of the data that YouTube, Google, Facebook, Instagram have on their users, which is a lot, a lot of, of information, they're able to create a lookalike audience of one to two million people that most closely match the characteristics of the group that you gave them. And the minimum amount that you need is 100 people to create a lookalike audience. And so basically what Street Team does is it ranks your fans based on how engaged that they are and based on their lifetime value. So how much have they actually purchased from you? And then you can create lookalike audiences based on your diamond fans, the people who have invested the most or the most supportive. And by plugging your targeting you know, into those lookalike audiences, the more data that's coming into your street team, the better relationships that you're building with your fans, the better you understand who are the people who really show up and really care, the better that your targeting gets. And you know, this is something that uh, we, we just rolled out the uh, automatic lookalike audience integrations who are our playground artists, um, which is like our first access clients that we roll out like all the new features in the street team with. And so I'm super, super excited to have it kind of automated and fully built in for you. It's something that previously, the only way to do it was to export your list manually. And now built into the platform automatically without you having to touch anything, you know, you're gonna be able to basically upload a list of your most valuable fans that really resonate most with your music and use that to reach more people that are similar to them. Dude. Yes. Awesome. Uh, lookalike audiences are crazy. I've seen them work over and over again. When, when you implement those, it's just like, how is this so smart? How do they know how to find exactly the right kind of people? And so the fact that the street team platform does that is insane automatically. And plus all the funnels, the text messaging, the email automations, super cool tool. I'm so glad we were able to take what we were doing and, and bring it into like a tool of our own. Yeah. You know, it, it won't, this is probably like the, I wouldn't even say the cherry on top. This is probably like the best part of the whole thing is that with all these other tools, you know, we had to create like in our program, like basically three months worth of one-on-one um, -on -one sessions with our team setting up active campaign and click funnels and many chat and setting up all these different tools and you know there's a lot of tech really sophisticated tech and it take, took a lot of time and energy to kind of put it all together with street team we have this thing called uh, you know template snapshots and basically we can when someone you know, joins our program now or we're working with the client or when someone joins street team we also have templates specifically just for anyone who's who are using the the software then we can click a couple buttons and literally push out all of the email sequences all of the messenger flows all of the funnels all of the templates into your accounts immediately and it takes like three minutes and it literally <laughs> saves like like no exaggeration, I would say that this saves between 500 to 1,000 hours of setup time needing to fully you know, integrate and set up all of these systems. You can do it in a couple of clicks. And all you need to do is just customize what's your artist name and what's your branding and just like update it to make it match your style. Pr pretty, pretty dang cool. And then we can also, when we uh, run more split tests on our own, we can update those templates and we can update 
all of the templates in your account. So just by having an account, we're keeping it you know, refreshed with the most, the most high converting funnels and campaigns, things that we see working best that allow you to really connect with, with your fans. We can keep those in sync so that whenever something new comes out, then we can actually push that out into your account automatically. So that's, that's definitely probably like one of the things I would say that's probably the best, the best part of having the, the street team software. That's, that's so awesome. Cool. Well, uh, do you have a, a hard stop or how much time do you have? I think, let me double check here, but I think that this is my, the last thing on my, my plate for today. So I don't, I don't have a hard stop. And there is one topic that we haven't, we haven't dug into yet, which is kind of an exciting one. I think you probably already know what, what I'm, what I'm thinking about, but it's three letters and it rhymes with, I feel free. <laughs> Let me guess. Um, NFT. Boom. Shakalaka. I knew it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that was on my list of questions to ask was to talk about the NFT marketplace. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> this is so much fun, man. You're great. You're a great host, dude. You should just be like, who, who am I? I'm just going to like go to Hawaii for a few months. Jared, you just, <laughs> you, you need to get host the podcast. Um, so the NFT marketplace, this is right up there with the street team software in terms of things that I'm personally like really excited about and geeking out on. And, and really it's very interconnected with street team. So right now, I think we're in this, we're in a industry that's ripe for disruption when it comes to NFTs and music. In general, I've, I'm a little bit more on the skeptical side around NFTs. I think it's kind of like the internet where there's just so much hype and there's kind of a bubble and we've experienced the ups and downs of, of that. And I think when I see certain things that are NFTs that are selling for like hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I, I think that that's the, it's, it's a bubble. So when bought, you know, a potato, a picture of a potato and it costs like $20,000. But I think that there are some industries, especially for art, where there's a huge opportunity. I think the music industry is, is one of those. You know, we are in this unique situation where music, which used to have this you know, very tangible um, value to it, you know, where people would go out to a record shop and they would you know, purchase a CD and hold it in their hands. And when people came out over to their house, they would show off their vinyl collection. Now with streaming, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like it's such a cool opportunity that anyone can access basically the world's music from their phone instantly. Um, very, very cool. And they can do it with a very, very low subscription fee and listen to unlimited music. The issue is that, you know, for artists or for musicians, you just in terms of how economics work, you know, one of the main laws of, of economics is, is supply and demand. And in a nutshell, when you have a huge supply of something, then the price goes way, way down. The demand goes down. It's all about supply and demand. And if there's, there's less supply, then the price goes up. And so in a world with streaming, like how much supply is there? Unlimited, yeah, <laughs> unlimited abundance, you know, like there's no limit. If you have a subscription fee, a low subscription fee, you can stream unlimited music essentially for free. And so in terms of economic value, you know, supply and demand, like it's no surprise that the value of what people are getting paid for their music has gone so, so down with NFTs. And, and it's almost like the antithesis to ownership, because when you stream music, you don't own 
anything about that song, right? Like you are literally subscribing and you're just, you know, getting to listen and stream it and just kind of license it almost. So like you get to just, your ears get to listen to it. You pay a, a fraction of a penny to listen to it. And I, I really think that artwork for so long has, has really been all about ownership and about being able to like own a limited piece of artwork and hang it on your wall. And, you know, is there, is that because of like, um, social status or reputation, probably for some people, you know, when you look at like art collectors, um, some people pay millions of dollars for like Mona Lisa's like $800 million, right. To hang on, hang on your wall. And, you know, for everyone, not everyone's going to spend $800 million to, you know, to hang artwork on, on their wall, but there are people that have a lot of, you know, money is, is not an object for them and for them, you know, being able to express themselves and, and own a limited piece of artwork is something that the value is very subjective and it could be very high. And this is what, what we found in the music industry as well for NFTs. Like there's some of these NFTs are going for millions of dollars. And the reason is because of supply and demand and there's a limited amount of those NFTs. So I, I think that there's something missing with an equation where, you know, the Mona Lisa can be sold for $800 million, but Let It Be by the Beatles has never been sold for more than a dollar. And in terms of impact, in terms of artwork, you know, I, I think that if there was a equivalent, because with the Mona Lisa, look, like you can, you can actually duplicate the Mona Lisa and you can print out a canvas, you can print out a copy, and you could actually print out something that's, if you put it side by side to the Mona Lisa, then most people might not be able to tell the difference between the original one and the printout. But one of them would be worth eight hundred million dollars, and one of them would be worth like forty dollars. Like, why? Why is that? And because one is the original, and one of them is one of them is authentic, and it's one of a kind. And even though you can enjoy the other artwork, and you can you know, hang it on your wall, and you can put it whatever, it's not worth eight hundred million dollars like the original, right? There's something about that that ownership of it, and there's people who are paid a lot of money to verify that the per that it's legitimate, that it's authentic. So I, I think that there's a huge opportunity for music, right? For there to be um, in a very similar way to the Mona Lisa. Like if you purchase the Mona Lisa, you don't own the copyright to the Mona Lisa, right? You, you own the artwork itself, right? Mm -hmm. So the original artist can still sell, you know, the, the Mona Lisa. And so I think that the same thing applies to music. Like, at least in my opinion, I, I think it's an interesting idea to sell copyright royalties and ownership to the music itself, but I think it's kind of overcomplicating things for, in a lot of cases, whereas I think the artwork can stand for itself. So um, basically what we've created and we've done an alpha drop um, for our music, we're calling it the music relic marketplace. And these I love are that NFT. term, the relic. That's a great term. Yeah. Yeah, it's something, you know, the, the purpose of it is that we wanted to, I don't know, simplify the, simplify the idea of NFTs so that fans don't necessarily need to learn how to write code and become a developer in order to own these NFTs. Because that's one of the biggest challenges with NFTs is that it's like you need to get a MetaMask wallet, you need to jump across all these different platforms, you need to learn how to write code, or you need to at least be kind of tech savvy to, to understand how it works. So, so really what we wanted to do was to streamline it in a way that, um, and also another thing is that it's so confusing. Like the landscape is like the wild west because, you know, what's an NFT? It's a, it's a GIF or it's a photo or it's a video or it's a song or, you know, and there's different kinds of song, you know, NFTs. 
And so we wanted to create a platform where you know exactly what a music relic is because it's, you know, there's a, there's a framework. There's like, there's an archetype uh, behind what these music relics are. So in the music relic marketplace, there's five different rarities of music NFTs that you can offer. They can create from your music. One of them and the most rare is what we call your diamond NFT. And your diamond NFT is for your entire discography. So it's basically a one of a kind edition of all of your albums from start to finish. And when you release a new album, you basically, you add on um, a new album to your diamond NFT and it's still one of a kind. And that's the most rare one. The next most rare one is the platinum relic and that's for your album, right? So that's from an album from start to finish. You know, and you can think about these NFTs as being like one thing, right? So especially with, okay, I'm, I'm quoting myself back there because we could, we could go down a rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain kind of how the different um, groupings of, of music, I think kind of like the overall trend of music and content in general, for better or for worse, has been like shorter and shorter attention span Right. And so I think that there is a case to be made for like having curated, very, very small bite-sized pieces of content. But at the same time, there are people that they want more. They want the full meal. Like they want the entire thing. And I feel, I feel like this model of having these five different kinds of music NFTs is actually going to open that, that back up. So the people who really want the full meal, they want the full album now they actually can have an option. It's much more rare to own one of them, but um, you know that's the the platinum. The plat platinum NFT is the full album, and there might be only you know ten copies of this for each album. Then the next level of rarity is the gold NFTs, and so for these, you know, there are about a hundred of them total, and these are based on songs, right? So uh, you might have for each song you have a hundred editions, almost like. Another way you can look at this is sort of like trading cards. You know, if you have like NBA um, trading cards, then you might have the same card, but there's only 100 of them total, right? And so it's a similar idea. So there's 100 editions of each of these songs. So they're a little bit more common, but 100 is still relatively fairly rare. And one of these 100 editions of Let It Be by the Beatles might be worth tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then the, the next uh, rarity is silver. And that stands for refrain. And so refrains are a verse, chorus, bridge, or a, like a repeating section in a song. And you might have, you know, a thousand refrains. And the most common is the, the bronze NFTs. And so those are your moments. And this is what I'm personally really excited about because I think that this falls in line really nicely with the current you call it like meme, the culture. And when I say meme, I, I don't mean necessarily like GIFs or like the picture where it's like a meme, like those are memes too, right? But the, I mean more of like a, like a cultural phenomena, right? Which is that we have these like TikTok profiles where we have 15 second clips of, song, of, of videos and we're swiping left and right very, very quickly. So moments, the idea is that this is a, you know, under 15 second long clip from your songs. And ideally, it's going to be a curated moment that really kind of delivers on a silver platter the most eye-catching or 
ear catching, I guess, ear catching, you know, clips from your songs that if it's the very first thing that a new fan who's never heard of you before is going to listen to, you want it to be the thing that they're like, oh man, I need to listen to this artist. This is amazing. It's like the live show moments where everything drops out and everyone gets goosebumps, right? It's so like taking those moments and putting them into one of these limited edition uh, bronze relics. I think it's going to be one of the best promotional tools. And with the Music Relic uh, Marketplace, we basically, as a provider, have built it into Street Team so that you can mint these, which means you basically you can create them on the blockchain. We're using Flow Blockchain, which is um, one of the only environmentally you know, friendly uh, blockchains, which isn't terrible for the environment. It takes less energy um, to mint an NFT on Flow than it takes to do a Google search or to post on Instagram. Wow. So it's much more environmentally friendly, which is important, I know, for a lot of people. And so what you can do is basically we, as a provider, we are giving you a platform within Street Team to be able to mint these NFTs and transfer them to your fans and to kind of decide what do you want to – like we mint these for you and then you decide what do I want to do with these NFTs? Do I want to offer them for auction or offer for sale? You can even give them for free to your fans. If you have a super fan who's really supportive, you're like, look, I want to give you one of my gold NFTs. You, or you can do it for your bronze NFTs. If you have you know, 500 of them for each moment, then maybe use it as a way to bring people into your community and to join your email list. You know, Join my community and get a free bronze NFT while they last. When you're at a live show, you can say, hey, um, if you like the music, then you know, I have these NFTs that they're limited edition. Um, there's only 500 of them. But if you go to this website and you sign up here, then I'll send you a bronze NFT. And it's, and it's also connected to that clip from your song. It's like a really cool moment from the song. And so, yeah, so hopefully, I mean, it's definitely kind of a deep dive into it. And hopefully it makes sense without kind of visually seeing the examples of these, these NFTs. But there, it's also a very cool design. Um, so one of our graphic uh, designers at Modern Musician, Curtis uh, Peel, created a really awesome animation mock-up that basically, it's like a 3D cube that plays the clip from the song or the album or whatever depending on the nft and it has a different frame based on how rare it is and has your your cover art your album artwork on it and it just looks really cool it like pops out of the page uh, so it's yeah it's just it, it's a lot of fun and oh the last the last thing that um that's really exciting about the integration between the music relic marketplace and street team is that uh because it's within the street team platform you can do things like create different tiers of access to different content based on what kind of NFT your fans own. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like having a Patreon page, but with your Patreon, either, and we call this your inner circle um, in Street Team. So you can create an inner circle with, let's say, five different tiers of access to you. So you have bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond. And similar to Patreon, you can have different tiers of access that someone can subscribe to and pay a monthly you know, subscription fee to access that tier. Or you know, if they own one of your platinum relics, then they can get access to the platinum tier without the monthly subscription fee, as long as they own the relic. They can also trade it to other people down the line. They can resell it, in which case they wouldn't have access to that tier anymore. But whoever got it, now they have access to it. So, like a key. Uh, it's like a it's like a key. 
And that's something I'm, I'm really excited about because I think that there is sort of this model of ownership and status and being able to connect deeper with the artists that um, building that into the Relic marketplace, I think is going to be really, really a cool way for fans both to self-identify who are the fans who really care the most and are really like the ones who are the true fans, I, I suppose you could say, or the ones who like, like really, yeah, I think that money... Money isn't everything, of course, right? Like money is just, in fact, it's almost nothing. It's just an idea that we all believe in. But it's a very, very important idea that we've all kind of decided helps us to operate around society. And we decide that, okay, this is our best objective, you know, way to represent value. And so therefore, like, I, I really believe in this, that if you look at what someone spends each month, then you can basically get a pure look at what do they value in their lives? And like, what do they actually value most? And so I do think that, you know, having this type of tiered access where someone can own one of the rarest, you know, relics from an artist is a great way to see who really values you and values your music most. And to identify those people and connect with them and serve them, build a deeper relationship with them and plug in that data to your targeting. So now you're reaching more fans that are similar to all of your fans who own a gold, platinum, or, or diamond NFT. Yeah, back to look like audiences, <laughs> plugging them in. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm super excited for the whole concept of NFTs. And I think that it's gonna be, it's in its like infancy right now. And and it's it's like the third layer of the internet. The whole idea of like cryptocurrencies and stuff is like this whole third layer on, on top that's why they call it like web 3.0 and like the same thing happened when web 2.0 came out everybody was like that's a fad that's not going anywhere that's nobody like you know they didn't understand it yet because it was so new and i think the same thing's going to happen so i think if you can get on board with nfts now you're just going to be like ahead of the game you're going to be more educated and if you start to apply them you're going to be one of those first artists to like take advantage of the opportunity Hundred mm, percent. Yeah, that's so true. The uh, one of my favorite analogies, and I mean, people, if you've listened to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about this analogy before because it's one of my favorites. But it certainly is true in the case of NFTs that you know, it's like we're surfers, right? And we're trying to we're looking to catch this catch the wave. And there is this opportunity right now. If you kind of if you look around the landscape, you're like, hmm, I feel that there is a wave that's happening right now, and it's cresting. And you allow yourself to swim along with it then you, know, you have this opportunity where you can catch the wave and get a huge boost of momentum. It's, it's also a lot more, I don't know, uncertain or it's more scary. And that's the way it always is because it's easier to look at a wave that already passed and be able to point at it and say, hey, this thing was successful for this other person. But if you spend all your time and energy trying to catch up and, and catch this wave that's already passed, then you might never get to it as opposed to looking at, okay, what are my opportunities right now? How can I be ahead of the, the curve and actually swim along with that so that you can catch that wave as it, as it crests? Yeah. And this is like, I see this as this big wave that's like coming, you know, that's going to be surfable very soon. And if you can see that, you know, I think a, like a smaller wave kind of came and went, but the next one's coming and it's going to be really big and, you know, it's not this this isn't going anywhere so it's a tsunami it's yeah. a giant wave if you don't catch it you will die <laughs> i won't go that far but but it is i mean it's i i think it's on the level of uh maybe just below tsunami right like you won't die if you don't catch it but you know it's going to change everything awesome so 
I want to do a, a few like rapid fire questions. These are like personal, like selfish questions that I've prepared. The first one is what's your biggest hope or dream related to modern musician? Oh man. <laughs> you're asked, dude, you asked some really good questions. Um, I did my research. I prepared for this one. <laughs> uh, biggest hope or dream for modern musician. Um, I want to create the next um, Apple store for musicians, but for it to be the NFT marketplace, I want to help eradicate poverty for musicians and to change the narrative. Right now, there's there's still kind of this remnants of starving artist mentality or like there's so many people that feel, I don't know, embarrassed about um, making music, feel like they're not good enough or they, they're met with skepticism from their family. Like when they say that they want to make music full time, like who do you think you are to, to be able to do this? Just because the old model used to be that it's it was like a lottery ticket. It was so rare. It's not the case anymore. Like you you can do this if you if you are willing to you know, show up and do the work, then 100 percent you can do this. It's not necessarily a game of you know, lottery ticket luck anymore. So I want to create the world's biggest platform that helps artists, specifically music artists, to sustain their craft and to kind of bring back bring back ownership to to fans of music. And ultimately, this is I think we've we've geeked out about this before, Jared, but like ultimately, a modern musician isn't really a business where I see myself like 10 years from now being, I don't want to be like the face of modern musician. And it's basically just relies on, on me. I think that our team is too talented and, and there's just, it's really not about me long-term. Like I think that what I would really like to do is to be a member of the board of modern musicians, still stay connected, but for the business to operate itself and uh, for modern musician for me personally to be a stepping stone to be able to connect with entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and people at his level to help build the future of humanity and things like Neuralink, you know, these brain interfaces to be able to literally communicate with each other telepathically and be able to create music with our thoughts and, you know, merge with AI as the real tidal wave <laughs> like comes across us. <laughs> Um, I think that there's th there's things like that that are probably like the biggest um, ideas that I, I, I can imagine that are going to change what it means to be a, a human. And I think that music is connected to those things. Like music, it like speaks a language that in some ways is more primal or more rooted. You know, it's more connected than our words and our languages that, that we speak. But uh, that's really kind of my, my biggest goal or my biggest dream is to be able to connect with the future of, of technology that you know, changes what it means to be a human and provides essentially a, a path towards living in an environment where there are zero limitations on anything. Like it's pure, like we can imagine something and it just exists immediately. Dude, that's what I love about you so much is like your ability to like dream big. Like it's almost scary. Like, you know, um, it's like, it takes a lot of courage and, and, um, envision to think like that and to think like you do and that's why i love you know being around you and seeing what you're doing and yeah man i, I just appreciate everything that you've done for all the musicians that that you've touched over the years thanks man that means a lot and 
I mean, you know, like I could say the, the exact same thing about you. Like you're such a, you're such a gifted both musician yourself and like leader at Modern Musician, and you really sort of exemplify you know, what it means to be a modern musician. So I hugely appreciate you and and being able to connect with you and seeing your journey over the past you know five years. Oh, thanks, man. So next rapid fire question: What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Oof. Um. Yeah, I would say probably the one that comes to mind first is the investment in Jeff Walker's coaching program when I was really kind of at that point where I'd lost my identity. I didn't know who I, like what I was going to do. Am I going to go back to college? Am I going to um, what do I yeah, I didn't I never went to school. Like I didn't have any real world experience aside from touring full time with my band, which, you know, in retrospect provided a, a huge amount of, you know, real world experience, but certainly no like formal education. And that was an investment. Um, it was $12,000 at the time. And, you know, I didn't have $12,000 just sitting around to, to invest in something like that. So I, I ended up putting it on a credit card doing the monthly plan. And it was one of the most challenging years of my life because I invested a lot into uh, my business and, you know, about $36,000 at its peak um, of debt. And, it wasn't until kind of the end of the first year that you know th things started to connect, and in retrospect, I can see that I you know had planted the seed and was nurturing it and it was starting to sprout, but the fruits hadn't necessarily started falling yet. So that first year, when I was kind of at that turning point, deciding to stay with his program and continue to focus on the music, on the business, was another investment that it probably if it wasn't for that, like we wouldn't be here right now for sure. Like we wouldn't have. Modern musician wouldn't be helping hundreds of thousands of musicians. You know, we wouldn't have connected, and you know everything that we just talked about over the last you know hour or so just wouldn't even ex have have existed if it wasn't for the value of mentorship, right? And the value of someone who was just further along than than I was, being able to look at where I was and look at my path and see a future for myself that was bigger than the vision that I I had seen. I didn't even know it was possible, but you know, he had he had seen what was possible and he could see something inside of me that was bigger than what I saw myself. And he, yeah, I think that that's really the role uh, that a mentor provides. And so, so I think in general, mentorship is one of the most valuable things that you can invest into, whether it's, you know, your time or your money, like finding the right, um, the right person who's done the things that you want to do and connecting with, with them and in the community, you know, too, is, is a really important part of that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I agree. You know, like it's been one of the best investments I've made, you know, modern musician was that for me. I think that, like you said, having somebody who can see further than you can at the time, and that who's been there before can help you along the way better than you can just all alone, like, you know, by yourself. Awesome. So next question is in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has had has most improved your life? Oh man, um, <laughs> it's a really good question. I mean, that, that was that was a tough one. I feel like there's so many there's so many things. Honestly, I think that the habit tracker and just like the morning routine in general is probably the most important one. So that's like the green shake that I drink every morning. It's meditation. It's going for a run every morning. It's getting high quality sleep. And yeah, I think that that's probably kind of in the vision map 
Oh yeah. Like the, the vision map is, is one of those things where it's like the foundation of building an entire house on, like if, if it was built on sand then with one storm, it would come crumbling down. But you know, having that foundation has been really, really important. Awesome. Yeah. So like the morning routine, having a routine kind of setting your day up for success. The vision map thing is, is, uh, something that's, I've been doing, uh, more recently in the morning it's like the first thing i look at and it's totally it totally changes my day and also it helps me align with where i want actually want to go because mm -hmm. for a while i it was kind of like i had i'd built it out and i'd you know i'd look at at it every once in a while but i came in a couple of weeks ago and i i was like hey this is out of alignment with where I, like i used to you know, used to think this, I used to, you know, have these ideas about my future self and, and what I'm, you know, want and, and all that. And I realized this needs an update. And I love that it's like a living and breathing document that you can go back to. So that's awesome. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's literally, it's like channeling your creative power, you know, that, that, that comes from like a, like universal nature in your mind. it it does i mean it's you know it's uh i don't know like it's it's possible i think to what would some people would call it like woo woo or something and sort of thinking like the law of attraction and stuff but there, there is something very true about the fact that everything that's you know man-made started out as a thought and then through action and through you know energy moving towards that thought it became a real thing but it started out as the thought and uh, you know, that's something that there's been a lot of studies now and like Olympic athletes and the most successful entrepreneurs, like they're all masters at creating a vision, right? And the vision is literally like so connected to that final, that final outcome that in some cases like Steve Jobs, you know, he famously had his reality distortion field, He'd literally like distort reality around him and, and create things that were seemingly impossible, right? So. Um, I, I really believe that, yeah, deep down that that's one of the most important things that you can work on in, in yourself is, is looking within and asking yourself, like, really, what do you want to create? What do you want to imagine and give yourself permission to fully create that and imagine it and then become the person who deserves to, to create that. Awesome. So I got one more rapid fire question and then I got a couple from the audience and then, uh, we could probably wrap this episode up. But last one is if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Mm. <laughs> um, probably that you are enough. Yeah. 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 I think that. And this is something I still like, I need this billboard for myself just as much as, as anyone else. But yeah, I would say like at its root, um, of the human condition, um, is sort of this feeling, yeah, I've lived with it, um, my whole life. And it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to point. It's, it's almost like swimming in like a fish swimming in water. If you swim in water for your whole life, then you might not even be aware that you're swimming in water because it just is. But yeah, I think that almost all of us have sort of carried around this this constant level of baseline anxiety or pain or just like this this uh, feeling of not enough and you know maybe it's connected to our egos and the sense of being separate from everyone else which i think ultimately is, is an illusion that creates the sense of not enoughness because it's you know sort of uh 
it's a it's a lie. It's, it's like that we aren't that we're alone. That we're not you know interconnected with everyone and everything else. And and so I don't honestly I don't usually I'm not usually aware of it. Sometimes when I'm like meditating, like I'll, I'll be able to just let go completely, just be completely present and just sort of observe and be one you know, with, with everything. But, um, most of the time I would say, um, is, I, you know, still, um, operating from a level of, of ego and, and not enoughness. And I, and I don't understand, I don't fully know too, like what, how much of that is, you know, a, a good thing, you know, like maybe, I don't know, that feeling of not enoughness is also responsible for like almost everything that's good in my life. The reason that I, became a musician was because, you know, I felt like I wasn't an, enough, you know, like I, I got rejected, um, in high school. I remember a really traumatizing, um, experience where I basically got publicly rejected by a girl in high school. And that became that feeling of being rejected, of, of feeling not enough was probably what inspired me to start a band and, you know, want to never feel like that again. And, you know, to, to feel not like a loser, <laughs> I guess. And so I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one, <laughs> you know, like that, that feel of like you're, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to be complacent. Um, but at the same time, I think there is sort of this, the sense of being plugged in, like when you do fully understand and grasp that you are enough exactly as, as you are and that you are just, you know, part of this one um, this one life that we're all, that we're all connected to, then, yeah, I think that that's ultimately where we're headed towards. And what I hope that, you know, we realize with these brain interfaces is that we're not actually as separate as, as we think we're actually a part of you know, one living being. Dude, I, I knew I was going to get some, some deep stuff and, and I love that. Uh, I think we should make that billboard. You are enough. It's like a phrase. It's a, it's a something that everybody needs to hear. I think from time to time, dude, so good. So a couple questions from the audience. Uh, since we are, you know, live here today, I've got some uh, queued in here, right here. So from Karina, uh, what is the single most important thing you recommend an artist do every single day? Ooh, um, good one. Yeah, I think that probably the vision map would be the number one thing. And, you know, I, I think that we walk through it in most of the, the master classes that, that we do live on, on Wednesdays. But in a nutshell, you know, this is you plugging back in with what is, what's your biggest goal or what's your biggest dreams and, and to do it on like a one to three, you know, kind of five year basis. Cause obviously if you go too much further out, then, you know, like who, who, it's like uh, trying to look at a landscape, like. 500 miles away when you're walking it's like well you know maybe you need to look a little bit closer but i think that that's probably the number one habit is i would say goal setting and every day kind of reconnecting with what are your top three to five goals um for the next year and you know the next three months next month next week and just kind of checking in on those top three goals and priorities so that you can stay in alignment with them i would totally agree too that's something i learned really uh, from you is is this planning uh, like it was something that I was kind of like dropping the ball on before we you know met and I saw the way that you did it and now you've got like vision magnets and and mind maps and I was gonna you know go into a little bit more of that but um, that could be a 
rabbit hole all, all on its own. And, and if you sign up for our masterclass, you know, our free masterclass, you can um, see how all that works. But planning, I think, is so underused by musicians and on a short, you know, a short period on a longer term and like definitely uh, can change the game. I know it, the reason why our album did so well this last time around was 100% due to the planning, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Just goal, goal setting in, in a nutshell. I mean, it's like, you know, th when you see the most successful people over and over and over again, like scientifically proven that goal setting is like one of the traits that they have in common, um, then it's hard to, hard to ignore that. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, we'll do one more and, um, and then we can wrap it up, but, uh, from Betamax dub machine, uh, how much does the average new average new musician need to spend in order to get a solid fan base of at least a thousand people? Hmm. Uh, it really depends on what you're willing to invest in terms of like your time versus money. I mean, theoretically you could just walk up to people online for shows. You could go tour hacking and it wouldn't cost you anything. Um, so in that case, like you know, zero, like in terms of promotion, like you just, you can just do that and you can spend the time and energy to, to also do the same thing online, right? Like you can follow other artists that, you know, have similar music, who have fans that might like your music too. You can start connecting with their communities. You can start build, having conversations with their fans and, and start sharing your music as well. Um, so all that is in, you know, within your, your grasp, if you're willing to invest the time and the energy to do that and, you know, it's like anything, like you can either invest your time or your money. And the secret of wealthy people is that they've gotten really, really good at investing money to save time because time is a very, very precious resource that, you know, right now at least, you know, there's no way to replenish, right? And um, so that being said, like if you don't have a lot of money to start with, then you, if all you have to invest is your time then invest your time and figure out where to invest your time to get the best return. So in, in my opinion, it probably would be tour hacking. Cause I think that that's probably the best way that you can invest zero and, you know, and actually make, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, even if you're, if you're doing it well. So that's one option. I mean, the fastest way, if you have a budget, then I would invest, you know, clearly I'm, I'm uh, going to be more biased here, but you know, I would invest in, mentorship. Um, you know, we have our Gold Arts Academy and it's, it's not for everyone, but, and we're very selective with, with who we bring in. We make sure that's the right fit. Right now we get between seven, 800 applications per month. And we narrow it down to about 25 to 30 artists to work with based on your music and based on, um, the application and, and just kind of the, what your goals are. But, um, you know, there's other options too. There's, um, lots of, uh, different courses and programs, things you can invest in. So if you're, if you have a budget, then I think probably the fastest way to get to your first thousand fans is one, you know, get a program or a course or something from someone who has already invested the time for you and already invested the money. Cause otherwise you're going to spend way more money and way more time just trying to figure it out in your own, right? Like we've invested over $730,000 in the past year to figure out what's not working so that you can not have to invest that yourself, right? So, you know, that's probably the, f if you have a budget and you're willing to invest, you just want to, you know, get results as quickly as possible, 
then I would recommend finding the right mentor that you resonate with. And honestly, like it, it might not be us, right? Like there's different mentors for, for different people and at different times, right? So um, I would encourage you to follow your gut and go uh, with the mentors that you personally resonate with who've done the thing that you're, that you're looking to do and, you know, and find a way to surround yourself with the right people, right? Figure out the people who are on the same path or the people who are a bit ahead of you and do whatever you can to, you know, to connect with those people, to surround yourself with them. Even if it's doing things like, you know, if you're looking to become a producer, you know, offer to be an intern and to get coffee for like a producer that you, you know, really look up to, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of opportunities if you're willing to, um, show up and focus on providing value, then you can trade your, your time and get opportunities to, you get mentored by, by people, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think that that's the perfect way to kind of close it out here today too, because I was going to say like, is if there's anybody here who wants to work with modern musician, or if you're watching this somewhere else and you want to, you know, apply for gold artist Academy, maybe you think that modern musician is a good fit for you. Um, we'll have a link right below this video and, um, you guys can apply there, but yeah, dude, that was awesome. This has been so fun for me. I geek out. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm, I, I, I like listening. Like I, I do like, you know, absorbing information that way. Um, but sometimes I'm like, what would it be like to host? And, um, this has been super fun for me and I get to inter interview you. So this is awesome, man. Thanks, man. You dude, you, you killed it. I mean, it's like for, like for someone who, um, doesn't like do a lot of podcasts. You had great questions. You showed up and, and you're like a fantastic host. So thank, thank you for, yeah, for giving me, giving me the opportunity to play a slightly different role than I normally play on, on the podcast and get to, to be able to, to share. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Michael. Do you have any uh, last words for us today? You are enough. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.